Now my hoki Mikey to first up. It's Rapa Wednesday, the 9th of November. Call Nathan Rara coming up. We'll have the very latest on the US midterm elections. Simon Marks reports from Washington. A computer algorithm may have solved the case of the missing Lord Lucan. Well, listen to that. Uh, Pam Corker has the latest on that. And of course, it's a 50 year old murder mystery. And after all the hype and controversy, David Farrier's film, Mr. Organ, opens in cinemas tomorrow. It was a really disorientating experience. It gets so odd and so strange. And I mean, even since I've been in back in New Zealand, things have been quite weird. I'm very curious how our premiere is going to go. Because, yeah, Mr. Organ is a very driven individual. And I don't imagine he is very happy about the film. Maria, welcome to First Up. Hope you enjoyed your blood moon. We were calling it bloody moon because couldn't see it. It's too cloudy. Anyway, I'm Nathan Rarity. We begin this morning in Australia with an apparent breakthrough in a famous missing person case. I'm joined from Brisbane by our sleuth on the scene, Pam Corkery. Morena, Pam. Morena, that's what I am indeed. <laughs> so, so. so tell us about this. This facial recognition expert claims to have unmasked Lord Lucan in Brisbane. Well, the claim comes from this guy. He's a Brit professor, Hassan Nagal. He's got form. He unmasked the killers of the Saudi dissident journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, and the Russian poisoners in Salisbury. I mean, I'm not selling this as a deal, but I'm just saying he's got form. Mm. And uh, Professor Ugal believes he has cracked the case with his artificial identity photo analysis. Apparently, this AI algorithm, um, it can run 4,000 cross-checks. And he did that over seven photos and said his technology would not report such close resemblance unless it was from the same individual or an identical twin. Now, for those (laughs) to recap, Lucan murdered his children's nanny, Sandra Rivett, and attacked his wife in 1974 in London. The nanny's son has been, which is sad, has been hunting his mother's killers for years, killer for years rather. The man he found is 87 doing meditation. He's the same age that Lucan would be now. There have been scores of reported sightings around the world, including New Zealand, where I, I recall them absolutely harassing a man until they worked out it wasn't him. <laughs> this. He's got pictures of Lord Lucan just sitting there in a Broncos jersey, driving around with his elbow out of, out of Kingswood window. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that one just appeared in my head. Leave me alone. There we go. No, get out, mate. I'm going down the leagues club. There he is. Anyway, let's. Okay, well, well, he might be back on the scene. Good on him. Hey, tell us about this Australia's relationship with China. That looks like it's slightly less frosty. Why is that? Well, it's perked right up, and I think two words, Scott Morrison, um, because, you know, the rhetoric was so heated between Beijing and Australia. I mean, it was terrible under his time. So this, the Foreign Minister, Penzi Wong, who I love almost as much as I love Jacinda, she's had a meeting with China's Foreign Minister, or the third meeting in five months. This has paved the way for a meeting between the Chinese Premier Xi and Anthony Albanese at the G20 in Bali next week. So this is good because China restricted imports of a whole lot of things from Australia, coal, beef, wine and barley. I mean, Australian exporters say they're struggling to fill that market. And um, it's just Australia needs China and China needs Australia. So there you go. 
But, uh, Aussies love sport and justice finally being delivered. Oh, man, I'm old. I remember this fight. Jeff Fennick versus Azuma Nelson. So the Aussie boxing legend Jeff Fennick has been awarded a world boxing title 30 years after fighting Azuma Nelson. Tell us the story. And don't get me wrong, because I'm not a good at watching boxing, but I remember the fight as yeah. well. You it was know, a, I mean, it's amazing. Sport. I mean, Clint Brown would have had a suit jacket and a baseball cap on, showing everyone that they were sporty yet also casual. I'm sure that's and, what it was. And adjusting his his tie, yeah. um, he would have all the time, right up to filming. Um, <laughs> I used to work with him. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> Fennec has been retroactively awarded a fourth world title after the WBC overturned that fight, the draw the decision. Um, you know, because Fennec did dominate Nelson totally in the fight, and the mm. judges, I think, were off. So he's been awarded this belt and the belt in at a convention in Acapulco he he look i i lived in australia a long time about 10 years during that period and um he was considered one of the greatest boxers australia's produced and he was a great star he was presented as belt by legends who i've never heard of roberto duran julio cesar chavez and miguel cotto but oh, um, anyhow you, you had to yeah. hear, had to have heard of hands of stone roberto duran oh. No, oh, no, okay. no. Okay, then. But anyhow, <laughs> Phoenix said it happened. He said that made it the best, you know. And he said it happened for a reason, him, you know, the draw, and made me a better person. He said I was three-time world champion at the time and didn't like the person who I was. Oh, oh well, that's good that he's finally here. Yeah, Jeff Phoenix always comes across as quite a, quite a nice fellow. Uh, Humble, I see him on the yeah, telly. yeah, lovely, yeah. It does well, lots like, of charity work. So getting you getting an award from Duran Chavez and Cotto is like being a, a funk guitarist and getting an award from Earth, Wind and Fire at the same okay, time. So that's okay. <laughs> Not Peter Paul and Mary. No, no, no. No, that's a, no, it's no, a no. There as well. Earth, Wind and Fire. <laughs> and Fire. Cheers. Thank you very much, Pam. Always great to start the show with Pam Corkery out of Brisbane. It is ten and a half past five here at First Up on RNZ National. Americans are lining up to vote in person in the midterm elections. Even a minor swing to the right would put the brakes on President Joe Biden's agenda for the next two years. The BBC's Barbara Plett-Usher has this report. It has the hype and drama of a presidential election. But this isn't about who lives in the White House. It's which party gets to control Congress. For the past two years, the Democratic Party has been in charge of both House and Senate, allowing President Biden to pass the laws he wants. That will more or less end if either chambers or both flip to the Republicans. However, at times, you'd be forgiven for thinking it feels like a presidential election because it hasn't stopped the current president, or the one he beat two years ago, from campaigning hard. Democracy's on the ballot. Poli- political violence and intimidation are on the rise all across America. And you remember January 6th, the angry mob that stormed the U.S. Capitol, attacked law enforcement, hunted down elected officials, erected gallows to hang Vice President Pence. Democrats are worried about the hundreds of Republican candidates running in a variety of races. They back Donald Trump's unsubstantiated claim that the 2020 election was stolen. If they win, they could have a huge say on how elections in their state will run in the future. Mr. Trump still can't let his election loss go. The election was rigged and stolen and now our country is being destroyed. I ran twice, I won twice. 
And I did much better the second time than I did the first. Getting millions and millions more votes in 2020 than I got in 2016. And likewise, getting more votes than any sitting president in the history of our country. And he keeps hinting he might go for the presidency again in two years. Polls suggest election integrity isn't the number one concern for Americans, though. A struggling U.S. economy, crime and immigration are all on their minds. So it could be a harsh verdict for the current president. Barbara Plett-Usher reporting there from Washington. And we'll talk with our correspondent Simon Marks before the top of the hour. At 13 past five, hello, you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radity. Always keen for your feedback, be it midterms, uh, be it even finding Lord Lucan or something like that. Or did you even get a chance to see the blood moon last night? If so, what are you doing up right now? It's like quarter past five, it's very early, but also did you get to see it? Because I know in uh, Auckland City where I live we couldn't, uh, it was raining uh, 2101 for the number there so let's just go to the Middle East now we're going to get the latest from our correspondent Alex Beard who is in Doha Morena Alex Morena Nathan Okay, uh, elections and all sorts of things have gone on, Benjamin Netanyahu back as Israel's Prime Minister says he was going to bring with him the most right wing government in the country's short history, wow yeah, so <laughs> I think for a lot of outside commentators, it's a little bit concerning, to be honest. Now, Israel's been, um, for the last wee while, in pretty much political turmoil. We've had, you know, four or five governments come and fall. We've had a number of elections. And finally, hopefully, even if this is a right-wing government, we can have some um, stability in Israel regards their government. But Benjamin Netanyahu, who had, who had many had thought... Um, who was previously president before the current one, we, we, we thought basically that he was out of the game. He'd been up on corruption charges in court. Um, he'd basically been effectively chucked out of government. Um, and now he's back with a vengeance in the parties he's going to make coalitions with aren't just right, they're far right. And when we say far right, we're not talking kind of New Zealand kind of right. We're talking far further than that. There are some concerns from those in the region that we're going to see um, if you agree with it or not, Zionism be forefront, you know, um, uh, Israeli state being primarily for Jewish people, despite there being well over a million Palestinians living in Israel proper, and despite the Israeli occupation of the occupied West Bank. Um, but yeah, I think you can be expecting that Netanyahu and his allies will be setting up a pretty hardline right-wing regime in Israel, and I think it will be very interesting considering the politics in the region and considering that Israel has been naturalizing ties with a number of states in the region, but there are still huge frictions, countries such as Iran. It'll be interesting to see if this results in a more peaceful or indeed a far more volatile region. Yeah, it was always quite conservative anyway to begin with. Let's move um, south of there. COP27 has kicked off there in Egypt. How prominent is climate change debate in the Middle East considering you know they get a lot of their money out of the ground? Yeah, so this is the fifth uh, COP summit to be held in Africa. Um, and it's pretty pertinent, especially in East Africa, which in, in some ways is also included included in the Middle East region because you've got just in East Africa, you've got around 20 million people who are struggling with uh, food security. Um, you've got places like Yemen, which is struggling with immense famine, one of the worst conflicts in the world currently in terms of human rights uh, abuses and in terms of hunger. So... The interesting thing about this COP summit compared to the last one, which was held in Glasgow in Scotland, was that Glasgow was kind of more about 
setting goals, setting targets. And this current conference is more about, okay, we need to implement some genuine change because if you, as you've been seeing over the last 12 months, since the last summit in Glasgow, the weather events are becoming more extreme. I was looking just before we spoke at that footage a few months ago um, from Pakistan, those floods. We're seeing these sorts of events happening more and more frequently. And especially in a region like the Middle East, where huge areas are going to experience desertification, basically, you know, areas that were, were desert, those desert areas are going to further more and more encroach on areas where people were living. It's going to get hotter. It's going to be harder to live in this region. Uh, COP27 really is at the forefront of everyone's minds. And hopefully this time, rather than just setting some goals, we'll actually have some hard um, just thinking, Alex, as you mentioned that about uh, you know those things like the flooding and that, I, I'm now less uh, amazed by them happening. I'm more amazed by how quickly the world just forgets about them and moves on. Like half a day yeah. later, sometimes it seems is incredible. Tell us about this this woman from I believe Kansas in the United States. There admitted leading an all female battalion of the Islamic State group. She's been sentenced to yes, twenty years in prison. Yeah, tell us about Alison Fluke Ekwin. <laughs> Yeah, to editorialise a bit, she sounds like a piece of work. Um, so she was a 40-year-old former teacher from Kansas, um, smuggled herself into Syria just over a decade ago and was there and in the region for eight years. Now, to give you a bit of an idea about how notorious she became, she was nicknamed by some the Empress of ISIL. She led a team and trained around 100 young women, some as young um, you know, as 10, 12 taught them how, how to fire a gun, taught them how to activate, activate a suicide uh, vest. She was also looking at potentially um, trying to carry out an attack in the United States and was looking to actively recruit for that as well. Now, just to give another idea, um, two of her children, two of her daughters actually testified at her sentencing. And what they were saying uh, was pretty horrible stuff. One of her daughters said that as a form of punishment, her mother held her head down, got an entire bottle of de-lousing powder and emptied it in her face, causing, you know, third-degree burns and almost causing her to go blind, um, purely so that she would teach her a lesson. So this is the kind of woman we're dealing with. She's now basically in prison for life. Um, I think it's very unlikely that you'll see her get any chance of parole. But um, another one of these cases of Westerners hitting uh, two ISIL lands during that period, carrying out some pretty awful acts, and now seeing life behind bars. Yeah. Alex, thank you so much for your time out of Doha. That was Alex Beard. Nineteen past five of Nathan Rarere here at First Up on RNZ National. So we will get you posted on those midterm election results in the United States. And also too, really interesting here, an ADHD expert joins us to explain why it's hard to diagnose and the difficulty this creates. It's Trade Me Time again with Ruby Tops, and this week she spoke to Leonard Powell about the tale of the last black can of V, allegedly, a Christchurch mansion and a pink playhouse built for those with disabilities. So Leonard asked her about this mysterious black can of V. Yeah, there's a bit of a tale behind this one, really. The description is quite a read, and so is the Q&A. Supposedly this is the last can of black V, as in V, the energy drink, for those who might not be familiar with it, which is some kind of limited edition that came out a few years ago. 
this one is getting so much attention on site and in part due to the fact that V is a very popular drink, I suppose, but also because of the description and the lengths that the seller went to to acquire this can of V. And that is all outlined in the listing description, but it's currently, it's had 44 bids and it's sitting at $172. And what does a can of V retail for? It would have to range from $2.50 to $4, I'd imagine. And so it's quite a markup. If you, in that description that you're talking about, Ruby, I'll just list off what the seller alleges that they traded for the can of V that they came across from a merchant down an alleyway. I won't give it all away, but one graded Pokemon <laughs> card, three lemons, one Honda Civic from 1989, 24 Tui Bear, two tins of cat food, four hours of lawn mowing, and $12.50 <laughs> New Zealand. Yeah, it's a wild ride. And 50% of that auction is going to be donated to Gumboot Friday. So there is uh, a good cause there as well. Yeah, and we'll see how this goes. It's a, there's a bit of time on it. We have, it doesn't close till Saturday night, so um, we may well see it go for a lot more than 172, 279 watch lists. Who would have thought? Although someone in the comments did say they've got a bigger can of Black V as well, so hence there's a bit of confusion around if it is the last one, but I think it's all in good yeah. jest. But it's in Masterton. And, and the question marks, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. in Masterton. Yeah. Which is where my grandparents yeah. are now. They're in a retirement village there, so I might send Grandma along to inquire about yeah. this Black V, potentially. Yeah, she can check it out. and just It, we, it is good to do your um, due diligence with this kind of thing. So, yeah, send her over. <laughs> what else have we got, Ruby, this week? I see there's a property in Canterbury you could tell us about. Yeah, this one's beautiful. So this one is a five-time award-winning just masterpiece, really. It's beautiful. It's, it was built in 2018. Overall, it's kind of a, like a modern take on 70s architecture, and, and that's an overall design with the open-plan shape and, and the floor-to-ceiling windows and, and the shape of the roof too. But especially when you go inside and you see that beautiful sunken lounge, outside there's a saltwater pool, a beautiful covered area with an open fire built-in barbecue, it's a really beautiful spot and on top of all of that there's really lovely views into that kind of valley that that beautiful sweeping valley it's a really beautiful spot in a beautiful spot that is canterbury as well heathcote valley i believe it is yes toby auctioned off this one so um time will tell how this one goes and yeah and that auction's coming up on when is auction on 24th of november there we go. Yeah, so, 12 yeah. PM if you're in the area. And last but not least, I, this might have been my favourite of the three you sent through, the Castle Playhouse, inclusive and accessible. Yeah. Yeah, this one's lovely. This is a bespoke designed playhouse with the idea being that children and, and adults, whoever whoever would like to, in wheelchairs and living with disabilities or doing therapy, there, like physical therapy, there's some tools in there for that too. It's an accessible playhouse and it is bright pink. It's castle themed. It's got a working sink in there with a tap, an activity table. It's got a wooden bench, small steps, but also ramp accessible. Yeah, it's very cool. And it's just a nice, thoughtful design. And I imagine that it's somebody has already had a lot of fun in there and hopefully the next owner will too. Just an update on the can of V, as you heard in that story there by Leonard Powell. Uh, it was at $171. Latest uh, figures in from Sticky in Wellington uh, says it's at $182 now for that can of Black V. That's Trade Me's Ruby Tops and with Leonard Powell. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The 9th 
What about that? 9th of November, this day in 1967. The first issue of Rolling Stone magazine came out. Must have gone okay because they made a second issue and then heaps after that. So that's good. Also, this song. 41 years ago on this day was the number one song in the world on the Billboard Hot 100. Daryl Hall and John Oates. Private Eyes. Yeah, 1981. Three years later on this day, Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street came out. Made for $1.1 million and it made $57 million. Still a bit freaky. Happy birthday to some people. Happy birthday, Delta Goodram. She's 38 years old today. Matthew Skippy Sinclair, New Zealand cricket batsman, 47 years old today. And the Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, 71 years old today. The Angry uh, Incredible Hulk. That TV series only was on for five years, but it was quite dominant in lots of our young lives. On this day in 1920, the Immigration Restriction Amendment Act happened in New Zealand. What did that mean? Well, it required um, intending immigrants to apply for a permanent residence permit uh, before they arrived. And basically, the act enabled officials to prevent Indians and other non-white British subjects entering New Zealand. The Prime Minister at the time, William Massey, asserted that the act was, this is his quote, the result of a deep-seated sentiment on the part of a huge majority of the people of this country that the Dominion shall be what is often called a white New Zealand. Prime Minister William Massey. And on this day, uh, two years ago, some people in America call it the funniest um, US presidential thing of all time. This was four days after the United States presidential election in 2020. Rudy Giuliani called a press conference. At Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Philadelphia, which is a small business in Holmesburg, uh, which is on the northeast part of Philadelphia, the landscaping business uh, is actually 18 kilometres away from the Four Seasons Hotel, which is in the middle of town, which is probably where Mr Giuliani Giuliani went to uh, book. Anyway, what's happened is uh, landscaping merchandise there has gone off huge time. They made beanies, they made all sorts of stuff and T-shirts and what have you. They made $1.1 million out of merchandising uh, from that so far. That is the Four Seasons Total Landscaping Business in Philadelphia. If you're over there and you need to borrow a lawnmower. And with us from the business team is Giles Beckford. Kia ora, Giles. More other to you, Nathan. That's good business, eh? Hey? Turning an accidental press conference into $1.1 million for yourself. That, that's yes, pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. It wasn't the place where Giuliani was leaking from the toupee, was it? With yes, the yeah, a bit of that was running down, and there was it was in between some questionable businesses as well, and he... Just kept. It was funny. It was just more and more funny. <laughs> anyway, um, let's let's go less funny things. Finance. Um, what about this? Where, where should we go? Bank profits. Well, we go look, the, the the BNZ is the last of the big banks to be reporting its annual result. It will be out today. No doubt, it will get close to possibly more than a billion dollars. We will have another round of hysteria uh, about the, the massive profits that the banks are making, uh, and shouldn't they give some of it back? I have to say that, right? While I'm no great fan of banks per se, um, they serve a function. Uh, you don't want your banks broke or you know with big holes in their pockets. So. Profits are to be expected. People saying, well, there should be controls on them. And I'm just thinking, how would you, in a practical sense, make that work? Do you put a special levy on banks? But then do you turn around and say, well, 
Fonterra makes a hell of a lot of money as well. We better put a levy on them because their milk price products are too high. And then you'd say Fletcher Building, well, they've been all ripping us off over that jibble stuff for years, haven't they? So we better put a levy on them as well because their profits are looking pretty good out of it. Um, so there are real practical issues there uh, to be addressed when people start saying, uh, you know, a windfall tax, for instance. Um, uh, and... In the end, you have to say that it is the capitalist system, and this is what people have signed up to. If they don't, if they don't like it, time for some significant change. Do that through the ballot box, but we'll we'll wait and see. So, you know, geez, Fletcher's, the banks, and Fonterra—that's that's billions happening there in profits. That's well, that's you and know, that, for an economy that's apparently awful, they're doing really well, aren't they? Well, they're not doing too badly. They're just I mean, scraping in. It's our, and basically in the end, it's our wealth, yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of speaking of our wealth, latest survey on KiwiSaver funds, not pretty reading. I mean, we don't need to be Einstein to know that financial markets have been all over the place this year and prices are generally down. Uh, this is from Morningstar, which is done as one of the more authoritative surveys of KiwiSaver funds. Conservative funds, they're the ones that are supposed to sort of give you some protection in tough times. Well, over the past year, they've fallen 8%, nearly 10% for the moderate funds. Uh, the really aggressive ones, uh, they're the ones that go and chase the big tech stocks, uh, where they're basically looking for big capital gains and not returns on uh, dividends. Uh, they've fallen... 14 percent um but and that's in the past year but and this is what kiwisave is all about over the past 10 years most funds have gained somewhere between six and ten percent and that's what kiwisave is all about it's long-term retirement Mm. saving i've mouthed off in the past saying i don't think it should be used as a house saving or house deposit saving scheme i think uh yeah if we want to save long term um, and we're serious about uh, our retirement, then you know we should put the ring fence around KiwiSaver as best we can, uh, and allowing us all to enjoy a better standard of living as we get on a little bit. Yeah. Giles, thank you very much for your time, sir. You can Kira hear me. more from the business team on Morning Report today at 10 to 7. If you are out shopping with a New Zealand dollar, you can buy the following things. 59.71 US cents, 91.68 Australian cents, 59.42 Euro cents, 51.80 British pence, 4.321 and 87 Japanese yen. Well, awareness of ADHD has been heightened recently following the story of Dr Tony Han. Now, the GP of 40 years was found guilty of professional misconduct last month for incorrectly prescribing Ritalin and other ADHD drugs. The medicines can only be prescribed by doctors, prescribed by doctors, sorry, with a recommendation from a psychiatrist or a paediatrician. But Dr Han argued he did so to help hundreds of people who would otherwise miss out because the public health system could not cope with the numbers of people with ADHD seeking help. Dr. David Kadaya is an Auckland psychiatrist. He told me ADHD can be confused with depression and it is impossible to diagnose in a short 15-minute GP consultation. The first thing is the symptoms showing themselves. And I mean, these days with the much greater publicity around ADHD, more and more people present saying, for example, I think I have it. Hmm. Or even one of my kids has been diagnosed with it and when I read about it, I thought, oh my God, that sounds like me. Hmm. So the challenge, though, is that the time taken to really properly assess and confirm this diagnosis 
it typically needs you know up to an hour of assessment time hmm. plus getting the person to access things like school reports to confirm that these difficulties were there in childhood and or to be able to as a practitioner get some collateral history from a parent or someone else who was there through this person's childhood to confirm that the symptoms of ADHD were present then because if you don't have these symptoms as a child and teen, you cannot have it as an adult. What are symptoms? I mean, can people often, uh, is there a way they can check it or is the best way to, I guess, clinically go and check? <laughs> no, look, certainly anyone who Googles ADHD will find a number of questionnaires online that can at least give some indication if this is an issue for you. The one that is most commonly used is the abbreviation for it is the ASRS, the Adult ADHD Symptom Rating Scale. Hmm. And it was developed by the WHO and is pretty well developed for WHO being World Health Organization. But I mean, basically, what are the symptoms? In childhood, where it's often much clearer, you have two separate dimensions, which people have one or both of. The first is inattention. So it's a child who, in classrooms, struggles to maintain focus, struggles to stay focused on the teacher, Hmm. struggles to stay focused on book work or reading, and is often easily distracted. So any noise or other people talking will distract them from what they're doing. And and also often has a mind that wanders. So trouble focusing, mind, mind that wanders as well. And those kids who have the concentration alone element tend to easily get lost in a classroom so they don't come to attention. The second dimension is the so-called hyperactivity bit. And that is the impulsivity, physical restlessness, talking too much, butting in dimension of this. And the kids who have that dimension with or without focused concentration are the ones who come to attention because as children in a classroom particularly, they are very disruptive and often get in trouble a lot. And as a result of getting in trouble a lot, tend to then get into very reactive kind of patterns of behavior. They much more come to attention. At home, that may be fine. They may just be, a, to the family, they might just be a very physically active kid who needs to be outside a lot, often good at sport and, and need a bit of direction and so on. But it's often in school that it's much more of a focused issue that becomes a challenge then for that child because they're always in trouble for just being how they are. I'm speaking with Auckland psychiatrist Dr David Kadire about the difficulty of diagnosing ADHD. He says that uh, when he started out in primary health care 20 years ago, it was rare to be diagnosed as an adult, but that's all changed. Recently we've had an MP come out saying I've been diagnosed with ADHD. We've had a lot more publicity. 20 years ago that was unknown and most people presented with stress, anxiety, depression, where they were not really responding to the normal kinds of talking therapies or if it was severe medications for severe anxiety, depression. And so I would end up seeing them and and part of disentangling what was going on for them. One of the possibilities that would sometimes come up was actually they have all these symptoms which reflect ADHD persisting into adulthood that sit behind what's going on. Mm. And if you then treat that 
it was often some of the most positive kind of outcomes I would ever see and that people's lives would be transformed. Although, of course, the downside of that, and this is part of the issue with the recent kind of events around, you know, a GP who has been before a disciplinary tribunal, because yes. the downside is that the, the medical treatments are also substances of abuse. Yeah. Well, so they're stimulants, they're amphetamine-like medicines, and for people who have ADHD, they have a paradoxical calming effect. And if anything, they will sleep better on them. But for people who don't have ADHD, they're effectively in like an amphetamine. And so they are oh. abusable in terms of people will get a high off them. They'll be able to stay up, you know, long hours, that kind of thing. So if you prescribe these medicines without a really very careful diagnosis, there are significant risks associated, including that people are basically misusing these medicines as amphetamines, and also because of that, they have a significant street value. Uh, so, so that's the the effect of perhaps Ritalin, of course, being one of the star star medications that we know. Yep. Yeah, so that's the effect that it will have on it if it's not. So, if these people come and and they feel they've got it, but then they're prescribed Ritalin, and it turns out they don't have ADHD, so they have that sort of raised raciness, as you just said. I'm just running here. Does that put what sort of stresses does that put on your physiology? Does I mean, is your heart beating really fast? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, for people who don't have true core ADHD, it will either be a, a more of a psychoactive amphetamine-like effect or it will be an unpleasant effect in terms of anxious, jittery, palpitations, racing heart type effect. That was Auckland psychiatrist Dr David Kadaya. Nineteen to six, running out of show here first up at RNZ National. So uh, before we hit six o'clock, Simon Marks is with us out of the United States, and you're going to hear about David Farrier's new documentary, Mr. Organ. Heading towards six o'clock, the professionals of Morning Report are set to go. The here after six, it's Corin Dan uh, to tell us what is happening on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh, Tamaria, good morning, everybody. Uh, we'll have a look at those house prices, which are continuing to slide. Wellington has had the biggest fall, so we'll delve into that a little bit. Uh, the COP27, of course, James Shaw making his way there. A uh, big focus on getting, uh, I guess, uh, industrial uh, countries, the first world countries, to pay for the damage that's been caused to third world countries by uh, climate change. New Zealand is going to commit with a ring-fenced $20 million support doesn't sound like a huge a lot of no, money when you're talking trillions of dollars, but it is significant nonetheless that we've committed. So we'll find out more from James Shaw on why and what it means. And Cup Week rolls on in Christchurch. It's all about the agricultural show now, oh. which of course was always a big deal when, when I was the dogs? Up. Did the dogs race on Wednesday? Because I remember there was, I was supposed to work for an old man's horse racing radio station, so I'm just trying to remember how it rolled out. I remember, remember about out. the dogs, mate. I there was Trotton, the there was that. It was always Winsome Ashley or Winsome something else that won the doggies. There's the old uh, cup down the Tuesday, then the, then the Friday yeah. races as well. Yeah. and then there's People the, streaking in the races. Uh, yeah, yeah, what a day. to see people having a bit of fun. What a day. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Karen. Well, journalist and director David Farrier, who's the man behind the documentary Tickled and Netflix, uh, the series um, Dark Tourist, returns to New Zealand's silver screens this Thursday with his latest work called Mr. Organ. Now this documentary follows David as he tries to make sense of the mysterious man behind a spree of wheel clampings outside a Ponsonby antique store. He told me about the strange journey which led to this point. 
I'd just put Tickled Out back in 2016, and I lived near this antique store, Bashford Antiques, and I would walk past it on a lot of days and a lot of nights, and there was always a lot of drama in the car park because they kept clamping cars that parked there and charging increasingly quite comical amounts of money. At one point, they were charging $760 for, I think, half an hour's car parking. (laughs) So I was like, who is this clamper? And so I started looking into this clamper and kind of found that he'd once sort of been a prince and he'd been all these different things. And as I got into the wormhole, things got crazier and crazier. <laughs> That's amazing. So I should come clean to the audience. I used to live around the corner from this place as well. And and what used to happen was <laughs> pe- people would, would go to get a coffee and there was a little place you could run in and grab it. And there's really nowhere to park there, right, David? So people would poke sort of like the nose of their car in this parking they weren't allowed to park in. And is that sort of where, where all the, I, I guess, where it all begins, right? All the fun begins, people pop in just briefly and then, then they're clamped. Were yeah. They, were they no, it, was, it was a very funny thing because... At the time, the laws changed now, so this all went to Parliament because of all this clamping. But people, they were parking where they shouldn't park. They were parking in a private car park. They mm. weren't going to Bashford Antiques. They'd duck out, you know, next door for a pizza or some coffee. But this antique store really became quite predatory because they knew people would be doing this. And so <laughs> they'd pop a clamp on, wait for them to come back, and then the aggro would begin. And they'd get into this sort of aggressive back and forth with Michael Organ, the Mr. Organ in the film. And yeah, things got crazy. We ended up going to Parliament and they passed a sort of a bylaw so you could only charge a maximum, I think, of $150 for parking. So this is an interesting case because most people are around this, they find it really confrontational and horrible and they, they just want to go away and ignore it. You run towards the fire. What was it about this that made you think, hey, actually, this is a seed, this is, this is really interesting? I think it was because I think I was really fascinated by this idea that, you know, this was a person who thought he was a prince, but he was also clamping cars, and he was incredibly secretive about it. He wasn't being up front, and the owner of the antique store wasn't being up front. And as I started learning more about Michael Organ, I learned he wasn't just a prince. He'd also, he'd, you know, stolen a yacht at one point. And then I sort of started meeting the people that had sort of lived with him and been around Mr. Organ. And that's when I started kind of getting sucked into his orbit myself. And it goes pretty dark, this documentary. It, it, it's, it's funny. There's a lot of fun in there, but it goes pretty weird, which I think is kind of what Tickle did as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, clamp your yacht, by the way, people, if you're out there so it doesn't get stolen. You know, to be involved in this, though, David, because you then, it's not just like you get to just, you know, walk along beside it all and be adjacent to it all. It starts turning around on you, doesn't it? What's it like when an interview subject turns their anger at you? It's pretty disconcerting and strange. And, you know, Mr. Organ was a really interesting documentary subject because he sort of started taking part in the documentary with me. He wanted to sort of give his side of the story, thought it was very one-sided. But then he'd also do all these really quite devious things and kind of turn the tables on me and suddenly it was, you know, trespass orders and a lot of animosity. And and so it was a really disorientating experience, which is kind of illustrated in the film and it gets so odd and so strange and i mean even since i've been in back in new zealand things have been quite weird i'm very curious how our premiere is going to go because yeah mr organ is a very driven individual and he i don't imagine he is very happy about the film do you get uh, is it adrenaline or is it a bit of anxiety like what's it like knowing there's someone out there who's really not happy with what you're doing and that they could just show up at your house at any time 
It's not a great feeling. You know, I really love chasing stories, I think, where often men are doing things they probably shouldn't be doing. And I think documentary is a really great way to shine light on that. I'm super lucky. I don't have a partner or kids or sort of a direct family that I need to sort of worry about. It's just me. And I think that gives, gives me a real advantage in doing this kind of documentary work because it's just me I have to look after. I think if I had kids or other people I was super concerned about, I would maybe think twice. So this whole story from the interest in it to putting it together to now, how, how much of your life has it taken? It's been about five years because wow. yeah, this started back in 2016 and I, I wrote a series of articles about it, which is kind of my research for the spin-off. And then yeah, I started filming when I realized that there was a lot more to this Mr. Organ character than I ever knew or understood. I thought it would take me a couple of years. You know, Tickle took about two years to make. I thought this would be about the same or less. But because of his sort of the type of person he is and kind of weird journey this took it took, ended up taking me about five years which is way too long but it feels incredibly satisfying to have it come out and to have it in cinemas we're in about 50 cinemas around new zealand from thursday and this is a real i don't know if fun's the right word but it's a roller coaster to watch with other people instead of you know on a on a laptop screen in bed so i'm really excited about that i can't wait to be lifting my feet off the cinema floor as I go, ah! <laughs> yeah, your old friend from the car park. Yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, I mean, I know you've already shown it at uh, Austin's Fantastic Fest there for the Americans. What do they make of it? Because I'm, I know that they would get the oddness of a, of a character, but is it universal? You know, do they understand just because it's not an American accent? Does it appeal to them? Oh too? no, that was that was my big worry because it's such a New Zealand story. It's so specific. But the really cool thing is that I think because kind of the character traits of Mr. Organ are kind of universal, people really got it. I mean, Stephen Fry came to one of our screenings, and oh, I'm wow. a huge Stephen Fry fan. And he sent me this two-page, got my email and sent me this two-page email afterwards, kind of breaking down his analysis of what he thought was going on in the film. And that's, A, is the best email I'll ever receive. But also, it kind of speaks to how this translates because people take a lot of different things from it and i think people will watch it wherever they are in the world and will recognize certain traits and characteristics they might have seen in other people around them but taken to the extreme and i think people respond it's it's an international story even though it's so so specifically new zealand david farrier on mr organ which hits the big screens tomorrow A lot of things happening in the United States. No NBA today. They've cancelled it and they've said they want all their staff and all their fans to go and vote. It is midterm elections. They are well underway. I think the pollsters have the Republicans slightly ahead of most key races. So are the House and the Senate going to turn red? Who better to explain the state of play than our Washington correspondent? It's always a pleasure to say, Kia ora, Simon Marks, how are you? Morena, Nathan. I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. Tell me, what's the latest? Uh, well, polls opened uh, uh, several hours ago now, about five hours ago here on the East Coast, and voting is absolutely underway. Remember that more than 40 million Americans cast their ballots in early voting because in many states uh, the polls have been opened for the last uh, couple of weeks or so. It is possible that we will witness a record turnout for midterm elections today. Normally, these midterm polls uh, only see about 45% of the 
uh, registered voters turning out. We might see a higher percentage of that today, given the stakes in the election. Certainly the stakes in the election as defined by one President Joe Biden. Today we face an inflection point, one of those moments that comes around every three or four generations. We know in our bones that our democracy is at risk, and we know that this is your moment to defend it, preserve or protect it, choose it. And I want you to know, we'll meet this moment. Promising to meet the moment that has been created by the attack on democracy, voiced and articulated by former President Donald Trump and his conspiracy theory-believing supporters, and indeed his conspiracy theory-believing candidates, because more than half the Republicans on the national ballot today have embraced Donald Trump's entirely false claims that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. As for the former president, when he appeared at a rally in Ohio last night, he engaged in a bit of a tease. I'm going to be making a very big announcement on Tuesday, November 15th at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. We want nothing to detract from the importance of tomorrow. He booked the string quartet so that we at first up had to go without it today. But Donald Trump absolutely indicating that he is going to use that speech next Tuesday to announce that he is going to run for the presidency again in 2024. A further effort by the former president of the United States, as he's done throughout this midterm election campaign, really to couch himself as the leader of the opposition in a country where that title formally doesn't exist. Yeah. So, Simon, I'm, I'm Thinking here, uh, I guess I've got a three-part question. I'd like to know about the key battle state grounds, but just prior to that, can you tell me, the states that were blue and the states that were red beforehand quite safely, are they becoming more red and more blue? Well, it depends on the state that you're talking about, but there's no question that it seems pretty likely, for example, that Florida, uh, always a battleground state in midterm and presidential elections, is a bit more Republican than it has been before. Some Democrats uh, argued uh, within the last couple of weeks that uh, the party needed to stop paying very much attention to the Sunshine State so that it could shore up support in other parts uh, of the country. There's going to be a big test today in some of the governor's races that are taking place in states like Georgia. Georgia and Texas. In Georgia, uh, Stacey Abrams and in Texas, Beto O'Rourke, two very high profile uh, younger Democrats. Both seem absolutely set to go down to defeat to Republicans there, uh, creating difficulties for their own uh, political viability uh, moving forward. But there are other states where the Democrats believe that they have the edge. And, and to answer the first question you asked there, we're going to be focusing extensively in the hours ahead on key swing states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, uh, potentially Arizona, potentially Nevada. Those are the states where the outcome of this election in the Senate is going to be decided. The polls all seem to suggest, and I think there's no reason at this point to doubt it, that the Republicans can be confident at least of a narrow majority in the House of Representatives. But remember, the Senate is split 50-50 at the moment, and in some of those key swing states, we're looking at an absolute knife edge in terms of the outcome of this election. And in some states, that may require recounts and possibly even runoff elections oh, no. in a few weeks' time. So <laughs> the question you've got to ask is, is this country in its brittle political condition 
really going to sit back patiently and wait for the outcomes of recounts and runoffs, or is the pot going to begin to boil? Well, there's going to be two groups of people heading to do an insurrection. That's amazing. Uh, we've got about 25 seconds. Tell us, Simon, when when will we know the results of these midterm elections? Well, I think we'll know the results of the House of Representatives. I mean, they won't all be final, but I suspect if you and I talk in 24 hours' time, we might have a good sense of where the House of Representatives is going. Uh, the Senate races, though, some of them are definitely, I suspect, going to be too close to call, and that's going to mean real nail-biting days and possibly weeks ahead for President Biden at the White House because he won't know just how much damage these elections are going to deal him until all of those recounts are over. Yeah, well, from his hollowed-out bunker in Washington, that is Simon Marks. Thank you very much, sir. The best in the business uh, with you here to wrap up. Yeah, what is an interesting day in the United States? And, and uh, I thought it was quite amazing by the NBA doing that policy. He said, no, we, we think it's important that people vote. Zane and Mike both don't agree with ADHD being a thing. Here's one. What a load of tosh ADHD is. Sounds like normal young kids to me. What young boy wants to read a science book in a classroom when he could be outside running around playing with his mates? Uh, here's another one Mike is ADHD a personality trait turned into a disease to create an industry Morning Report is next with Marnie and Corin from all of us here at First Up have yourselves a wonderful day we leave you with a current hit the number one song 41 years ago Touching.